Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. So today is a day where we cover the second half for the second part of Matthew 27. It's the actual crucifixion of Jesus. And um, so let's go ahead and before we get started, let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this reminder, this most most critical of all, that you suffered for us, you submitted for us, and you died for us. That it's through your sacrifice, your willingness to make us whole and to make us holy that we're able to talk to you, that we're able to be loved by you, and that we're able to live in eternity or for eternity with you. So, Father, I lift up this day, I lift up this time, and I just pray for your guidance. I pray, Holy Spirit, for you to open our hearts and our spirits, and that we would truly hear your message, and that we'd bring you joy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, interesting thing. <clears throat> um, I was, I'm reading the, uh, a number of, I'm going through the Advent calendar, the Advent on um, hollow, hollow, and they're doing a, a series of prayers um, regarding the Advent. For 25 days, they're doing their prayers, and they're covering different topics that are surrounding Jesus and God and demonstrating and you know, pointing to how the old, even the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, points to the Savior. And last night's message or scripture reading was from Samuel. And it talked about how Samuel went to to uh, Jesse, David's father, to you know anoint the king, the future king, and that was David. And when he first saw the oldest son, Samuel was like, "Oh, surely this must be the man." And God told him, "No, you're looking with human eyes, and I see the heart." Which when then I looked it up and I was, I was thinking, okay, what is what's the heart? Is this really a spirit? Because we're spiritual beings, because we're made in God's image, and He's a spiritual being. So when I looked it up and and discovered that the scripture, you know, the Greek or the Hebrew is actually spirit, and so that God looks at our spirit, not at the outward signs of who we are. And that just illustrates and continues to confirm all that we've been reading, that God looks at our spirits. He communes with us on a spiritual level, not on the man level, not on the earthly level, but on the spiritual level. And that's what he noticed and what he kept saying to Samuel was, hey, look at him, look at his spirit. And it turned out that the the youngest was David and he was the future king. So I, I just thought that was awesome that what we continue to hear throughout that we've been reading just keeps going and going and going. The other part was, you know, within that same message that was read was God never gives up on us. He, did, he didn't give up on Samuel. He didn't give up on David. And he continues to be there by our sides, just like we talked about yesterday. So now we're in Matthew 27. And let's go, let's start with, uh, let's go there. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him 
and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on. Then they led him away to crucify him. Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel? Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified, who were crucified with him, also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemon Sabakachini. Sorry. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of these, some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut from the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there 
opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Wow. So Matthew does something that the other gospels don't. He basically glosses over the actual crucifixion. He, and if you think about it, Matthew's a tax collector and he's getting down. He, and he's been doing this throughout. He's pointing to Jesus's deity. He's, he's pointing to his relationship with God and being the son of man. And he is pointing to the divine nature of Christ. He's done that throughout. And he's made that, that argument throughout his, his book. And so when it comes to the crucifixion, he doesn't get into the pain, the nails, the blood. He gets into, and he was crucified. <clears throat> and then he died. And he's very sh- much shorter than the others. But it fits perfectly with the personality that we've come to know over the last month or so. So with this, I was looking for some, some commentary and of course I found Tozer had something and it really made me think. And it also fed into some of the, some of the, the thoughts I've been having as I pray for the last few weeks, but especially at the last day. So Tozer focuses on verse 46, which says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachanati, (laughs) sabachteni, which means, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the dread, the misery, the pain in that statement from Jesus should be, I mean, it's it's just painful. He's no longer fellowshipping with God, which we've talked about is literally hell. So Tozer goes on, he goes to say, and this is coming from his writings called, the book is called The Radical Cross. He says, as a pastor, I've laid to rest the mortal remains of many a man whose future could not be mighty, who could not be but mighty, could not but be mighty, uncertain. Bottom line, it's a very uncertain future. Um, But who, who before the funeral was over nonetheless, managed to get title to a mansion just over the hilltop. So a person who was their character and their relationship with God was definitely in question as they were alive. By the time that the service, the funeral was, was done, they had title to a mansion, i.e. they went to heaven just over the hilltop. I have steadfastly refused to utter any word that would add to the deception, but the emotional wattage of the singing was so high that the mourners went away vaguely believing that in spite of all they knew about the deceased, everything would be all right some bright morning. 
No one who has felt the weight of his own sin or heard from Calvary's Calvary, the Savior's mournful cry, my God, why, my God, why have you forsaken me, can ever allow his soul to rest on the feeble hope popular religion affords. He will, indeed he must, insist, for, insist upon forgiveness and cleansing and the protection the, the vicarious death of, of Christ provides. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Tozer's basically saying, hey, he's known as a pastor, he's, he's done a lot of funerals. And a lot of those, vic, those people who died in their life, they weren't saved and, or based upon their actions. It was obvious they weren't. But because of the singing, the, the wonderful things said about them, the families and the, the survivors, all, despite knowing that person, basically moved on and thought, oh yeah, they went to heaven. But that if you really understood the agony at which Christ is crying out, why have you forgot, why have you forsaken me, God? You would not be willing to allow your soul to potentially live a life, each, survive through eternity without God. You wouldn't be willing to take that risk and that chance if you truly understood the agony of not having God with you. And so I've started thinking about it and in prayer last night, especially it hit me. And I think about why do people not accept Jesus? Why do they, why do I hear all this stuff all the time? God's a mean God. How can you have a God who believes in hell or allows her to be a hell? How can you have a God who is so uh, righteous or punishes and as we talked about yesterday, it's not God doing that. It's, it's us. It's our decision to live without God. We make a conscious choice and a conscious decision. And when you think about it, what does, God, what does Jesus offer? Well, we read about it in Matthew 11, verses 29 through 30, where it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't saying, come and do a whole bunch of hard stuff. He's saying, take my yoke, believe in me, live with me, for me, and my burden on you is actually really, really light. Now, it's man who makes it complex. It's man who says, do this, don't do that. It's man who says all these things, but Jesus says, love me with your whole heart and being, your spirit and your soul. Love God with all of that. That's the number one commandment for us. And then to love others. That's our commandment. If we do that, his burden is light. And I've started to feel a lot more of that recently. So I started really, ask, I asked God, what do you want from us or for us? And he wants a fulfilled life with easy burdens. Each of us has a burden. I started thinking about it. We all have something in us that we're ashamed of or that we feel, you know, bad about that about ourselves. Maybe it's like, I, you know, I, I could sit there and say, I'm, I've had fear of being a bad dad that I've let my kids down. I let my ex-wife down. I've let people down. That's a burden I carry. But Jesus says, take my, my burden because it's lighter. And I feel freed 
from those concerns I've had throughout my life. You see, it isn't a a physical burden. Jesus doesn't say our life will be physically comfortable because look at what he went through. He didn't even have a house to sleep in. He slept outside most of the time or if someone gave him a room or a place to sleep in their in their home, that's where he slept. But instead, the burden, the spiritual, the internal that we sit there and say, I'm not good enough. I'm a bad person. I'm deficient in these ways that we've been told all our life, potentially. He takes us from us. And I'll go and I'll point to Matthew 9, 2. And in there, that's when he said to the cripple, if you remember, that was, that was hand, handed down through the roof. And he says to the man on the mat who can't walk, his friends lower him down. He says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you and I, just like Samuel, when he was looking for the heir, the anointed one and Jesse's boys, we all would say, make him, make him walk. And we'd all focus on the human exterior. But God said, no, I look at the heart. And Jesus says to this crippled man, he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. That's what the man needs. And then when the Pharisees start condemning him for, for forgiving sins, then Jesus says, really? Get up, take your mat, and go home. And he heals him physically. Because that's all the Pharisees, that's all man can see is the physical. But the reality is, we all care about the heart. I mean, God cares about the heart. He cares about our spirits because we're spiritual beings and we don't even see that most of the time. We're blind to that fact. Just like I believe it was Isaac or it was Jacob who was saying, oh my gosh, there you are, God, right next to me is your angels going up and up to heaven and coming down to earth. And I didn't even see you. God, you're everywhere. And I didn't even see you. That's how we live. But Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is light. It's easy. So when we think about it, and now we're in here where Jesus died on the cross for us, the understanding of his sacrifice was for us to have a fulfilled life, not an easy life, but to take all those internal injuries we have, all that garbage we carry, and to heal that, to forgive those sins, that self-abuse we do to ourselves every day. He takes that and says, just love God with your whole heart, and then love your, man, your fellow man. That's the commandments. Not don't eat meat on this day. Don't swear. Don't do, just love God. And as we come into this Christmas season, I think it's critical for us to understand why he came. He came to give us life fulfilled, to give us a yoke that is, that is light, a burden that's easy. Not to add rules to our lives. So with that, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the grace. 
I just pray that your words would go out, your scripture would be read well and received well, and that you'd be honored and glorified, that there'd be nothing from me in this message, but that everything from you would be from you. I pray for our families, I pray for our nation, I pray for our friends. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.